Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 61 of the Kameno Voice. On this episode, I get to speak to a Kameno Island artist and businesswoman of the year of Stay with Kameno. Please welcome Carla Matsky. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Kameno Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kameno Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak, speak with Carla Matsky, who um, actually just, well, earlier this year, just won the uh, Businesswoman of the Year for 2019 of Samuel Kameno. Um, and then she's also a Kameno Island artist and also the owner of the Matsky Sculpture Garden on the south end of the island. So um, we got to have a good conversation and talk about kind of her background, um, where she grew up, and how she ended up way over here on Kameno, um, which you'll find out was far away from where she grew up. Um, and then uh, kind of her art, art background, uh, what she wanted to go into initially, and then how she eventually ended up in art. And um, yeah, just the evolution and how she decided to go and build the sculpture garden. Uh, sculpture park and then uh, create this really neat uh, place on the south end of the island. So we get to all that and more in our conversation. So please enjoy my conversation with Carla Matsky. Hey, Islanders, it's Brandon with the Kamano Voice. Today I'm here with the, a Kamano Island artist as well as the Businesswoman of the Year of 2019 of the Stanwood Kamano area. Welcome to the podcast, Carla Matsky. Thank you very much, Brandon. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Carla. Well, um, I've had a business on Camino Island for 33 years um, in fine arts. So I've owned a gallery. And 13 years ago, I opened up a gallery and sculpture park here on the island. Okay. Very cool. And we've, we've actually heard that referenced many times in our podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in upstate New York in the Adirondack Mountains. Okay. Nice. And then did, were you there through all of high school? Yes, all through high school. And um, I went to the State University of New York um, for my college years. Okay. Nice. What did you start in college? Well, um, believe it or not, I started out in pre-law. Okay. And before my junior year... Um, I switched majors and declared a fine arts major. Wow. Okay. So I had to, um, by then you had to declare your major. So I continued on at um, the university. And also, besides getting my BFA, I got my master's in fine arts. Okay. Nice. So <clears throat> what had um, got you started with pre-law? Um, well, I always thought I was an artist. I grew up in an artistic family. Mm -hmm. My mom was an artist. And so because I thought, well, I'm already an artist, I'm going to go to college uh, and get a law degree with a goal to help people. Mm -hmm. And it was, it, I kept taking electives in art. And I was just learning so much. I really liked the peers and that, the, the group I was with. And so that's why I switched. Yeah. Very cool. And then you said your mom was an artist. Um, so when you s decided to switch from pre-law to arts, was there any like 
issue there, or were they pretty excited that you were switching? Um, I remember my father saying, oh, please marry a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, which I didn't. My sister did, though. Okay, well, one of them. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he was probably more worried than my mom was um, as far as switching my degree and um, switching a career. Yeah. Okay. What was your dad's uh, profession? He was an architect. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the father's role to be worried about their <laughs> <Yeah>. daughters. <laughs> Very cool. So then you, you finished up in with fine arts. Um, and then where did you go and do your master's at then? Same place. Same place. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then what, um, when you were getting close to graduating with your um, BFA, what kind of prompted you to decide uh, to continue on and get your master's versus um, going out into the world? Well, um Mostly because they offered me uh, a good scholarship program. Okay. And I looked at it. I went, you know, I'm just going <clears> to <throat> go right from undergraduate right into graduate school and see what happens. Um, I mean, I did think about working for a couple of years and going back. Uh, but financially, it was just a great offer. So yeah. I said, yeah, let's I'll just continue on. Yeah. Nice. And so when you were doing, um, in undergraduate, do you have to, um, select a focus within fine arts? Uh, yes. And my focus at the time, um, was painting and printmaking. Okay. And as, uh, and same with graduate school, I, I did take sculpture, uh, throughout the years I was there, but, um, yeah, the same thing. I, as a graduate student, I focused on painting. Okay, got it. And then once you graduated with your master's, what kind of, what do you do then? Well, then I, I look for jobs. Um, with an MFA, you can teach in a college situation. But really, an MFA, um, you know, it's pretty much the degree is, is great for. Um, but that, being young, um, it was very competitive to get a college uh, teaching positions. Right. So I did sales for a while. And one of the territories I did sales in, uh, which was graphic art equipment, um, and photography equipment, as well as uh, pre press was New York City. Okay. And actually, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I would drive down and spend like two weeks down there. Um, and I just love the city. So it gave me going, coming, the girl from the Adirondacks working in New York City was quite a contrast, but I really loved it. Okay, nice. So um, <clears throat> the Adirondacks, I'm not super, I'm, one, I'm terrible with geography, but two, I'm not super <laughs> familiar with that area. What is that environment kind of like? It's a lot like out here. Um, it's probably about five hours, six hours north of New York City. So okay. it's um, borders the Canadian um, or it's it borders with Canada. Wow. Okay. Um, it's I grew up pretty close to Lake Placid. Okay. And people know of that because of the Winter Olympics. <laughs> oh, okay. I was thinking of the movie. <laughs> oh uh, no. Um, but it's very mountainous. The highest peaks are um, a little over six thousand. So it's not like out here, mm -hmm. but 
it's a, a beautiful area. Lots of lakes, lots of rivers. Mm-hmm. The headwater of the Hudson River is where I grew up. So okay. I was into skiing and whitewater kayaking. Nice. How's the um, uh, climate up there? Does it get that super humid New York? You know, when I was growing up there, 80s was like the highest temperature. I, okay. I you know, I've heard that it's changed. Um, they get up into the 90s now, and it's more humid. Um, but generally, uh, a lot like around here, too. Okay. Uh, nice. More more flies. Yes. And more mosquitoes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So uh, how did you get linked up with the into the sales position then? Because I, I would assume you're going into a job interview or something. You say you have a master's in fine arts, and then somehow you end up in sales. How did that kind of happen? <laughs> well, as a, uh, in junior high, I opened up my first business, and then all through high school, I ran a junk shop. Okay. <laughs> so I had some sales behind me. Yeah. Um, you know, with a fine art background, the uh, man who hired me to do sales, because it was in graphics yep. and pre-press, he felt that I would learn quick about um, that type of companies um, and that industry. So I did, you know, it was, I was, you know, on the ground moving pretty yep. much. Um, the first couple months I would follow him around and learned a lot from him just about the equipment. And we were, um, we were manufacturers reps. So I was okay. working with dealers. Okay. You know, that already sold the product. <clears throat> and basically, I was teaching them about new products. Okay. Nice. So then, um, uh, so you're working with that. Where did you go from there then? Well, um, there was a bit of traveling with that. New York City wasn't my only territory. I had mostly New, e new England. So um, I was on the road all the time. Uh, it was very hard to do any painting because I was staying in right. hotel rooms and so <laughs> forth. I think I ruined a few bedspreads trying to do pastels, you know, and then it doesn't clean oh, no. up very well. And it was great, um, but I wanted to, you know, another adventure. Yeah. So I did it for almost three years. Okay. And then where did you go, I guess, how did that transition happen then as you were, um, you were in that and then what kind of prompted you to move on? Well, for um, a year after that, uh, I taught whitewater kayaking and I was a raft guide and um, even all through college, I was a, a downhill ski instructor um, and also a racing instructor. So I continued that for um, a couple years and then my sister invited me to come out and visit her in Seattle. Okay. <laughs> nice. And so had she been living out here for a long time then? Uh, not for a real long time, probably a couple years. Okay. And I had never been this far west. Right. So I said, yeah, you know, and I came out in the wintertime. Okay. I took the train. Wow. And skied in Colorado, skied in Utah, and the goal was to visit her for a couple weeks and then take the train back a different mm -hmm. route. Um, but I didn't take the train back. I stayed. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, I hear 
different people that are probably more adventurous than myself, but they do things where they they go over somewhere and then they just never move back. How does that really? How does that work out for you? Because like, I don't know. I would be like, I don't know. I'd probably move back and then like waffle over it for a long time. And <laughs> so, what kind of prompted you to like really just dive in? Um, because of my whitewater experience, I met a group of kayakers when I was visiting my sister. And they were doing a lot of exploratory um, first descents out here on rivers. And instead of taking the train back, I spent a month doing first descents with them with borrowed equipment. Um, uh, and it was great. You know, I was young. You know, I was in my late 20s. Okay. And so um, eventually I just decided to stay out here. I did have to go back east to get my things. Right. And drive across country with a U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> and believe it or not, the first place I lived out here was Lapush, Washington. Okay. And so I got into surf kayaking and paddling a lot of the rivers on the peninsula. Nice. Before I moved over to this side. Okay. Nice. So then, <clears throat> what were you doing? So you moved over here, and you, you were working with them for a little while. What did you do after that? Um, well, when I was living in La Push, I actually was teaching at the tribal school there. Okay. And because of my sales and pre-press equipment, I got a job also working for a, a printer in Forks, Washington. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, so now I'm actually using the practical side of my experience with um, printing equipment. Nice. Cool. Were you using the same equipment or was it somebody else, some other brand? Um, actually, some of it was the same. Nice. And again, a learning curve because they were like, well, we think you know enough about the equipment, even though you haven't used it. We'll, we'll show you how to use, really use it now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> instead nice. of just being able to talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> It should do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So then you were, um, when you were working in uh, the Forks, were you still living in La Push or where? Yes. Okay. So I lived in um, the village of La Push. Got it. Really close to the ocean. Uh, my parents came out to visit because really I went from one extreme east coast to the furthest west <laughs> you can get in the continental U.S. is yep. La Push. Yeah. And it's remote, um, but it's great for hiking and uh, recreation out there. Ra yeah. Rains a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, and I was kind of wondering, so was that a big change for you moving over here? Like how much rain, especially in that area? Um, my first winter, I, I, yeah, it was tough. Because um, when it rains in that area, it doesn't just drizzle, it rains. Yeah. And um, that's why everything's so green and lush right. and almost tropical. Right. I miss the snow. So in order yeah. to go skiing from there, that was like a four or five hour trip. Yep. Um, so that probably was the hardest thing was my first winter there because less skiing, um, rain every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I got used to it. Yeah. And um, I guess if I can live in La Push, I knew I could live in Washington. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's one of the things though with Washington. It's definitely that um, the overcast winters is very difficult, and, so, and you know, my like my wife is has a really hard time with it. Um, 
And so some people, and I know other people that like, they have a really hard time with the overcast. For me, um, I mean, both my wife and I grew up here, but for me, it was just part of the cycle. Like right. I'm used to it. And so it's like my sweatshirt weather and I know it's overcast and <laughs> yeah. probably grizzly. Um, but I, there's a lot of people that really struggle with it. I'm actually one who during the summer, it's like, okay, a couple times a week, rain at night would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> um, less watering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't mind the rain. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, but yeah, I mean, out there it's, it's a lot. Yeah. A it lot com- more. <laughs> it comes down sideways with the wind. <laughs> yep. Okay. So then you were working over there, you were teaching, um, what kind of happened next? So, um, after about three years, uh, I was with a fella and he decided to get his master's degree up in Bellingham. So we moved to Bellingham. Okay. Um, I started working for the Wacom Museum and also, um, on call for the University Museum at Western. Okay. And mainly to hang shows. So working as a, what they call a preparator. Yep. And I, we lived up there for about three years, and then that's about when I moved down to this area. Okay. We, we went our separate ways. Yeah. But anyways, um, I, I moved to Camino. Got it. Okay. What, about what time is that then, your ways? Um, oh, I want to say 89, 90. Okay. I think 89. Nice. Nice. So then during this whole time then, um, you've kind of been moving around and you're doing a little teaching, a little bit of adventuring. How is you like, as far as art and stuff like that, do you, are you having time to continue to work on that during this time? Yeah, much more so um, than when I was doing sales a few years before. Yeah. Um, before I moved on to Camino, I started showing my artwork at uh, Seattle Gallery, um, First Artworks Gallery. Okay. And then um, Foster White Gallery. Nice. Um, and then when you were doing that, how were you... So then you moved to Bellingham. When you moved to Camino, what were you? What was your work that you were doing during that time? Um, a lot of painting. Okay. Mostly painting at that time. Um, and that's about the time I met Jack Hunter. Okay. And Jack was a known artist here on the island. He had a gallery that he opened up in Stanwood. Um, He'd been there two or three years. And I met him and proposed that um, we go into business together. Mm -hmm. And so we did. We co-owned a gallery in Stanwood for one year, and then we moved it out to Camino. Okay. And we're in business for 19 years um, on the south end of Camino Island. Wow. Before I opened up my own space. Okay. Nice. So then during that time, are you a full-time artist and... Pretty much full-time gallery owner um, and full-time artist. Okay. And and started to do stainless steel sculpture. Okay. In, you know, several pieces during that time period. And so was that something you had done any of that work through in college or was this something brand new you were just starting to pick up? Oh, I, d- I had done some sculpting, um, learned welding early on, um, clay, um, metal were probably the two that I, I mostly did. Okay. Um, 
So one was, they, they were both additive in that sense, not subtractive. Yeah. I learned stone carving um, a few years <clears throat> later. Okay. And did, um, it sounds like you had a, a large uh, toolbox of different types of art styles that you had been working on. Were there certain ones, like, do you go through seasons where you really are focusing and working on a certain type? Um, or do you kind of sporadically do them all? Um, no, I, for me, you know, artists are different. Um, uh, especially with painting, uh, I did a barn series and I ended up doing it for several years. Okay. Um, there was so many different barns to paint right. and images. Um, same with sculpture. Um, that was much more abstract um, work, and so I would work in a series. Okay. Um, those pieces take longer to do, so I, I was probably could produce much more paintings in a year than I could a sculptor. Right. Sculpture. Yeah. Um, so it was it was nice, and I did some collaborative work with Dan Nelson for a piece. Um, Rick Wesley, who owns a welding shop here in town, was a great source for me for um, actually making my pieces. And I could hire that company, Westwell, to um, fabricate bigger pieces for me, which okay. was nice. Nice. And there's a piece here at Terry's Corner, right at the V. Uh, there's a 14-foot, almost 15-foot high stainless steel piece that you see. It's just right of the sign. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so I imagine, like, when you're doing the, specifically, like, the sculpture stuff, those are, are those harder to, to move and sell? And how do you kind of decide of the art that you're making what stuff you plan on selling, what stuff you kind of plan on keeping? Um, when you, I think when you're a career artist, you're not necessarily planning on keeping any of it. Okay. <laughs> um, the goal, you know, because it's the only way you're making a living mm -hmm. is, is to produce and hopefully sell. You may, obviously I do still own pieces that I've made. Yeah. You know, you don't sell everything. Um, the sculptures, Mostly were um, commission pieces, or I competed for public arts okay. pieces. Nice. And so they were made um, uh, predominantly because of those two situations. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Okay. And and sculpture is something um, uh, specifically like stone and stuff. It's always something that is very. I, I is. I don't understand it because I don't think I could ever like work that way. But how do you do that? How do you do stone sculpture and stuff like that when you're starting from the start? Yeah, because you're looking at a rough piece of rock. Yeah. And you're envisioning um, this item coming out of it. Um, out at my sculpture park, we... Let's see, I think I've done 13 or 14 stone carving workshops. Okay. Um, I haven't taught them. I always get a master stone carver to teach it. And we, we gear it towards people who are beginners, never have done it before. Although what I find is the same artists come back year after year, yeah. which is nice. Um, so ideally, you, you try and say, come with some ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to do a rabbit, 
Um, think of it as a stylized rabbit or a stylized owl or an abstract piece. Um, but be willing to change once you get there. Because sometimes you look at the piece of stone and you have this idea, but stones have some fractures in it. You could be chiseling away on a side of it, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, the owl lost its wing. It's uh -huh. no longer an owl. Well, now what do I do? And so I think you have to be open because, yeah. you know, you're learning. And yeah. um, those things happen until you can learn to read the, the rock more and see those pockets and see those fractures. Um, you, you might have to change from an owl to a rabbit now yeah. or <laughs> an owl to an abstract piece now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, um, I mean, the, the get eventually get to that point of understanding and stuff. Like, it's just, I think that's so cool, like, to get to that level. Yeah. Um, and, and our workshops are all hand tools. So, um, you know, it's just this nice clinking, and we have rifflers and files for, the, for sanding, and we use soft stone. Okay. So after three days, people usually go home with something they made. And it's, it still amazes me, you know, someone who's never done it before, someone like yourself, Going, okay, I'm just going to try this. Mm -hmm. And you go in with a good attitude, no big <laughs> expectations, and go with the idea it's going to be fun and learning. Yeah. And it's three days later, you're like, oh, look, I made this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and you go home with something that you made. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's very cool. I've, um, I've seen many versions of that by watching um, Jed Dorsey. Uh, who we talked about a little bit before the podcast, right? Um, on his with his coffee and canvas classes, he does. It, it's it's very similar, and you see someone they they're like, well, you know, I'm not really an artist, or it's something I want to try, but I don't know if I'll get into it. And then after a day with Jed, um, they're like, look, you know, <laughs> or a few hours even, yeah. look, look what I did, right. and I think it's very inspiring. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so intimidating because I look at them when he's setting up and they're all blank. All yeah. the canvases are blank and <laughs> yes. people sit down and they're looking around like, I'm not supposed to start at this level. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's great. And I don't think I've ever, I've never talked to someone afterwards that was like, I can't believe that mine looks like this. Like, they're always so excited. They're like, yeah. wow, like I was able to do this. So yeah, no, it's I think it's really neat. Um, we teach Raku out at my place and that's a three hour class. And we're not teaching people how to throw bowls because that's a whole other class. <laughs> and I have to admit, I I never mastered throwing, you know, these beautiful, nice, uh, round bowls. Um, but my instructor throws a whole bunch of beautiful bowls, mm -hmm. all different sizes. You get to pick, and you pay for the bowl, and we have the glazes and the brushes there, and he goes through a whole thing about glazing and the firing process. Yeah which includes heating that up to about 1,800 degrees, pulling out and sticking it in a can full of leaves and papers, and the whole thing flames up, and then it gets smoked. And then the person gets to go home with a bowl that they did. Yeah. And um, people are expecting the worst, and it's such a wonderful medium that just about everybody's bowl comes out different and beautiful. Yeah. It's a very forgiving medium in a lot of ways. And um, that's been, we haven't done it this year because of COVID, right. but um, that's been really fun to do. We were doing 
one every other month. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I know um, I've talked with, uh, interviewed Bob Schrofer, and he does a lot of that. And he was, I, you know, some of his pieces that he's created have been really neat, some of the pots and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, he's done some, um, like, the different clays and stuff like that to get these really neat glazes and stuff like that. So um, that's very cool. So, um, so going back to the sculpture garden, you had been starting working with, a, with uh, Jack Gunter on, his, on, on that spot. Then... What kind of prompted you to um, open your own, and then what was was kind of your vision when you were doing that, um, opening the sculpture garden? So Jack and I, and we co-owned the gallery together. Um, for after 19 years um, out here on Camino, we were leasing the space, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to have a sculpture park around um, the gallery. Yeah. There was 10 acres out there with a pond. And the owners at the time had their own ideas what they wanted to do. Yep. And um, which they did. They started um, a blues concerts in the summer out there. So I could put sculpture behind the gallery and to the side of the gallery. But that was about it. And also we were leasing the space. Right. And I said to Jack, I said, I want to own my own property even if I'm in debt for years. <laughs> so every little bit I do, um, you know, it, it's, it's towards my vision. Mm -hmm. So I actively looked for um, three years, and I finally found the right piece of property. It was all completely wooded. Um, there was the start of a pole building on it. Okay. And so I just looked at that as, um, you know, a remodel. Yeah. And um, so I created an art gallery, an indoor space, and an outdoor space. And I've been there 13 years now. Nice. And it's, it's nice. It's, even with this COVID, now that I can be open, I can still only have about 10 people inside the building. Yep. So when I'm getting close to 7 or so, um, I can stand outside. And if people come, I'll ask them to walk the sculpture park first. Yeah. And then come back when there's less people in the gallery. And that's been nice. Yeah. So if I didn't have the sculpture park, then I'd be probably turning people away or telling them to drive back. Yeah. And so that's been been um, working out okay. Very cool. Yeah. So then how many sculptures do you have in your sculpture park? So right now, I'm not counting a lot of little ones, mm -hmm. um, which I mean like two feet and under. Um, 137. Wow. Yeah. And all different artists and all different types of, from bronze to steel, glass, um, combinations of glass and steel, um, rotating, you know, kinetic pieces, um, stone pieces. Mm -hmm. I even have, um, well, I, I carved marble in Italy about six years ago. And because of that, I met some stone carvers. And some of their works now are in the park. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so you, ha you have a lot of different artists and stuff that, that are represented there. How did you, I mean, I assume through network and stuff like that, but like how, how did you get in contact with so many different artists? And because you have people from, like you said, Italy, but you have um, people from New York, right? And right. Kind of all over. How did you get in touch with all these people? Or did they reach out to you or... A little bit of both. So being in business for all those years mm -hmm. with, with Jack, um, 
I had a good basis of artists. So, okay. you know, it's almost 20 years of artists we were already working with, including a lot of Pilchuck artists, which, um, just so I don't forget, um, next summer I'll be hosting the 50th anniversary of the Pilchuck Glass School. Okay. So that's going to be exciting. Very cool. Um, so when artists contact me, um, I have to view their artwork and quite frankly, I have to like their artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically what it comes down yeah. to. Well, you have that choice, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and it's always hard to tell artists, oh, I just don't think your work is going to fit my venue. Yeah. And it could be because, um, maybe they're just starting out mm-hmm. and I show a lot of very professional artists. So they're just not quite there yet. Um, or like um, once I had an artist who does wildlife. Well, it, you know, or it, it just doesn't fit what I'm showing. Yeah. Um, there are galleries that really deal, you know, just almost specifically with like wildlife mm-hmm. or marine life, um, that type of work. So right. I try and tell them, um, you know, who those galleries are and that they should look you know, or make an appointment with them. Right. Um, but it's been fun. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's sort of nonstop. I yeah. don't. I don't have a typical forty-hour week. Um, I am open on weekends. One time, an artist this years ago said, "Well, you're only open and you only work like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday." And I said, "No, no. <laughs> Monday through Thursday, I'm on the computer, on my website, doing bookkeeping, contacting artists." Yeah installing pieces because I try not to install pieces during um, the weekend um, hanging shows I, it's it's pretty much nonstop yeah I'm yeah. sure <laughs> wow so what are what is um well first of all like what is the largest sculpture that you guys have at the park oh height wise it's probably over 15 feet okay weight wise about three um, tons. <laughs> I hope you never have to move that. <laughs> well, I hope I do. We have. I sold a piece that weighed about 3,000 pounds. And, um, you know, and even bringing it to the park, you need a flatbed and um, a lift truck or a boom truck yeah. to move these these pieces. Right. So, um, yeah, some of the installations aren't just like, pulling it out of the back of the right, car yeah. <laughs> and wheeling it over to a place. Right. Um, it, it takes some ingenuity and figuring out and prepping the ground first and so forth. Right. Yeah. Wow. And is everything that's in the, within the sculpture garden then, are the artists also selling that stuff as well? Yes, through, through the gallery. So okay. I'm representing um, all these artists and I work on a commission base. Yeah. Very cool. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, so, um, very cool. And then, so like you've mentioned some stuff through COVID, but have you, you've still been able to do a few of your like classes and stuff. Just not, not the Raku. We're still hoping maybe we can do the December one. We'll just wait and see. Right. Um, I can limit the class size and insist that everyone wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cleaning your hands often, keeping social distance. Right. And so I think it's doable. It's it's getting people to want to sign up to to right. do that. 
Um, the, well, it's, it's the work, too. I mean, just because you have six people versus 20 people, like, your workload's the same. Yes. Yeah, it is the same. So um, I did have a couple who wanted to do it, and I just went, sorry. That's just to get the instructor to drive there and set up and do all that. Two yeah. people just isn't enough people. Right. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's $50 a bowl, so for him to do that, right. you know, it's just no, not going to work. Doesn't even take ass. <laughs> no, so um, we did do the stone carving. Um, it was a small group. You have to wear a mask anyways. <clears throat> yep. Um, instead of doing my traditional buffet lunch, um, I had a gal who does all the box lunches for the Stanwood Senior Center. Okay. And she did a wonderful job. Oh, very cool. And that was nice. That actually worked out well. The The difference is they couldn't go back for seconds. Yep. But I made sure that there were a lot of um, snacks. You know, you can buy from Costco. Right. And they're all, um, what do we want to, prepackaged. Yep. Yeah. So I had a lot of that. I Normally, I've my stone carving is known for having really healthy food this year. Potato chips, <laughs> a lot of cookies pre-wrapped. Right. The, you know, the actual lunch was healthy, but still. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do yeah, in times. Not, not quite the same as being able to go through a buffet line and go back for seconds or even thirds. You right. know, it was like, it was all proportioned out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was nice about it is, uh, you know, she's been doing this for the last six months because her dining room is closed and, it, you know, it gave me a lot of confidence that, you know, we're, we're doing it very, very safely. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And, um, I know Marla Williams, uh, was talking about that class and she said, yes. it was, um, you know, she said she was super far away and, but she said it was such a great class. She really enjoyed it. So it was, yeah, she's taken the class a couple times now Yeah. and she, was enlightened this year we had um set up a a booth far away from everyone but again you know you still have to wear your mask during this and we had um tools set up that um or power tools okay and she used them this year and i i look over and i'm like oh she's still at it her arms are gonna be sore (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I know she had a really great time yeah. with that. Very cool. Yeah, I got to interview her last uh, or a couple weeks ago. Oh, good. And so she's just gotten back from that. So um, with everything then, with the sculpture park, with moving forward with COVID, depending on how long this is around, what do you kind of see as your future? Well, I, you know, I'm going to have to adjust. I've had to learn to put just about everything online. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite there yet. Um, it takes time. Um, before, when I would advertise a show and put it online, I would, you know, give enough teasers to entice people to come. Now I feel like I have to have almost every piece of art yeah. online. Um, but it's helpful. I wasn't sure if I'd sell um, pieces from people looking at it online, but I have. And yeah. so that's that. I'm like, okay, that convinced me to keep working at that. Yeah. Um, I hope at some point I can be open full-time again. Um, If I have to continue with a limited audience every weekend, um, that's okay, as long as everyone is being safe. Yeah. I had to move my credit card machine out into the gallery, out of the office, 
I would use my office as a, another place to show artwork because it's a pretty good size office. But I decided I needed a place where in between people I could go in and take my mask off and yep. feel safe. Right. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm really hopeful. This year has been a good year. You know, I, I don't know what the future is going to bring. I think um, it's going to be a while, and I think people are going to have to adjust. Right. So luckily, I live above the Arc Alley, so I am working from home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My commute's about 20 feet. Yep. So that's nice. Um, and during the time when I was closed, you know, I had 10 acres to walk around. Right. And actually work on. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so for me, I didn't, I don't feel the isolation and I didn't feel um, too much had changed other than not seeing the public. Right. Um, I feel for people who live in apartments and, you know, yeah. that's, that's got to be hard. Right. You know, I'm used to being out on that property. So, Kind of a lot didn't change, like I said, other than not seeing right. the public and yeah. friends. Um, I just hope Camino can continue to, to at least be where we're at now, but hopefully be more opened up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then also with the, um, without having the Camino Studio Art Tour this year, how is that? I mean, because that's massive for yeah. most of the, I mean, all the artists on the island. So generally, I will in two weekends see three thousand to thirty-five hundred people. Wow! So that was tough, tough financially. Um, I still hung the show. I put it all online. Mm. Um, Revenue-wise, it wasn't the same, right? You know, um, and it was in May, so it was still kind of early on with um, being closed. Yep. Uh, so, and not just for me, it was for everybody who's part of that studio tour. Yeah. Um, you know, it was right up to the last minute, do we go forward? But that was back in March because we didn't print the brochure. So luckily we decided not to print the brochure. Right. So we didn't have all this wasted money into right. <laughs> something yeah. that wasn't going to happen. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we... It was in April we had to make that decision. And we didn't know um, about even businesses being closed yet. We right. just we just had to guess one way yeah. or the other. And I think we guessed right. Yeah. So um, I was briefly at uh, one of the meetings, and it looks like we'll be able to use the same brochure, just change the dates, and use a lot of the same imagery. And the artist's... We always have a special place for um, a special guest, you know, from the tour to um, be on the cover and so forth. And that's all going to stay the same. Yeah. So that artist won't, you know, lose like their spot or... lose their spot. Yeah. 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 So that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, it was it was so weird during that period because, yeah, no one knew. I mean, when they said we're canceling school for the rest of the year, they did that in like March or maybe April. But I was like, that is really drastic. Like, that's, yeah. that's three months away. You think we're going to still have this? And then, like, <laughs> yeah. then things started canceling through Christmas now. And I'm like, oh. And then even next year, I've already started hearing things. Like, people are like, we're not sure if we'll have this or this. 
you know, through 2021. Right. So, do, do you have children? Yes. And what, how old are they? Um, so I've got four kids. We've got two uh, twin girls who are nine, and then a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh, okay. So two, two girls, two boys. So how is homeschooling? Um, well, we were homeschooling prior to this. Oh. So my wife was already in Good. that world. Um, she has had to field a massive amount of questions from friends and family and stuff. Right. Who are like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> right, right. Um, so not a whole lot changed for us, but there's a lot of there's a lot of family, and we know a lot of families, single moms, right, right. or families that both couples work. Right. Um, that they're like, what do we do now? Like, we can't not work. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's a really big problem. And well, I'm glad you were, you and your wife were a good resource then yeah. for helping with that. She is. I don't have a clue. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, all right. Very cool. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So the first one is, do you have a lesser known or favorite location on Camano Island that you like to hang out? Probably not lesser known, but I do like to hang out at the state park. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. it, it's only two miles from my place, but I feel like I've gone someplace else. You know, yeah. like almost like I've left the island in a way. Yeah. No, as you're walking through those trails and stuff, you yeah. just kind of meander through all of them, and you feel like you're in the middle of the forest. Exactly. In, like the middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. No, it's, it's very cool. We have quite a few different spots on the island that are like that now. Yeah. And um, it's really cool. Um, uh, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would the first day look like here? Well, I have done this a few times. Um, not recently, um, <laughs> because getting friends, even my anyway. sister, but my sister was a perfect example. When the bakery opened here at the marketplace, mm-hmm. um, we would start out getting something we probably shouldn't be eating, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, I like the, the croissants with the chocolate. Yeah, those are my favorite. I love <laughs> yes. those. Those are really good. And I think they're now my sister's favorite. Okay. <laughs> to the point where if she's coming out to visit me, um, she would stop there first and bring <laughs> treats before nice. she got to my place because <laughs> I'm further south. Right. So I would say um, start with a bakery. Um, of course, hang out at my place. Mm-hmm. Um Lunch at Cama Beach if it's on a weekend. If it's not on a weekend, um, I do like the restaurants here and the Rockaway. So yeah. it just kind of depends. Yeah, um, depends on the mood. Yeah. So Brothers Pizza is a favorite of mine. Um, taps, I've eaten there three times. Um, every meal was great. So, yeah. you know, I can definitely recommend them. And I definitely recommend um the rockaway i mean they've got those portobello mushrooms yeah (laughs) instead of fries that are excellent yeah so um and then you know go to the state park yeah and take some of the trails yeah. That I can't get my sister into doing, but other friends I've done that. Okay. <laughs> oh, my sister's always afraid that if I say, oh, we'll only be a half an hour, 40 minutes, so it'll turn into four hours because <laughs> I've done that to her before. <laughs> she has reason to worry. That. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who is an interesting person, uh, interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Well, um, right off the bat, bat Jack Gunter. Another artist, writer, filmmaker. 
It's hard to just pick one. <laughs> you can pick multiple. That's fine. Okay. Uh, Jason Dorsey. Um, I'm on a board with him with the Arts Advocacy for yeah. Stanwood Camano. Um, he's a, a painter, mostly watercolor. He's a minister, and um, he's just so interested in the arts. He comes from, like you know, you've interviewed Jed. He comes from this artist family. Yeah. Mom, dad, grandmother, his sister, his brother. They're all, they're all painters. Yeah. Um, definitely Jason, and uh, and then Jack Hunter, or I said Jack Hunter, Jack Archibald. Yeah. Who's a stained glass artist, uh, musician. Um, funny guy, <laughs> and he's lived out here on the island a pretty long time. Yeah. And Jason grew up out here. Yep. And Jack has been out here, I think, since the late seventies or early eighties. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And then there's a bunch more, but I'll stop yes. with those. Three. Okay. <laughs> I'll come back to you later. All right, and lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard uh, right as you're driving up on the island, what would that say? Well, I thought about that, and it would say, Camano Island, an art destination. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. And um, now that it's the middle of the day, guess where I'm going after this? Back to work? No, I'm going to go and get a slice of pizza. Oh, nice. <laughs> <At> Brother's Pizza. <laughs> so Perfect. I was thinking about that when I drove here. I'm like, what am I going to eat? Okay. The bakery, mm, I'm, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. Pizza, I don't lose weight. I'm still, well, I'm going to go for a piece of yeah. pizza. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and when they moved here, one of my favorite things that Brooklyn Brothers does is that they sell all their pizzas by the slice. Yes. So if you're, yeah, if you're just coming by yourself, you don't have to feel like, okay, well, I got to get a whole pizza and then figure this out. Like you can just get the slice of the pizza that you really want. Right. And so. I'm just going to get one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Carla Matsky for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash EP61. That's CaminoCommons.com slash EP61. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.